grateful that God loves me. I am grateful that even though my hope feels like it's uh, not strong today, I still have some. There are embers burning. That the scenes I've seen on television have not drowned completely, drowned it out completely. But it's hard, and it's hard today. But this is the day that the Lord has made, and I choose to rejoice. I choose to offer God praise, knowing that praise <clears throat> lifts the spirit of heaviness. I say thank you, Jesus, and bless your name. You are holy and worthy to be praised. I acknowledge you as God and Savior of all, and that the earth is yours, the fullness thereof that your kingdom is coming and breaks in, and I look for it desperately, that we are people who desperately need you, who desperately seek you. Heal our hearts, Lord God. Help us to have courage and faith and hope in this morning. We need you. I need you. So we're going to move on. Thank you, Lord. Jesus name. Move on into our service today. <clears throat> I want to remind everybody that today um, our church survey went out at eight o'clock this morning. Um, everyone should have received an email from an organization called Engage, E-N-G-A-G-E, -E, um, and it has a link to a an online survey we'll take. I ask you to please participate. Friend of the church, member of the church, you desire a if you didn't get one and you desire uh, to participate in the survey just contact info at mosaicphiladelphia.org or angel at mosaicphiladelphia.org uh, and we'll get you a link uh, so you can participate but there's information I need to know and there is a section on the diversity the multiculturalism of our church that is expressly important to us as a community because we are Mosaic Community Church. We are an inclusive, anti-racist, multicultural community. And we dare to defy what this world says can't happen. That power and love and equality can exist in this world, in this country, on this earth. And that we can allow that to overflow. So may God be glorified today in our worship as we are, exist in exactly the frame that God gave us, glorifying him. So let's have worship. Good morning, Mosaic family and friends. Um, I know that it's been a really tough and trying weekend for our city and for our country. Um, so I hope that today's service can be a brief moment um, of peace and healing in between the hurting and the grieving. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Lindsay McCormick, and I'll be leading you all in worship today. Um, but just so you know, Pastor Angel has been asking some members of our worship, sound, and tech teams to experiment more with recorded music for our services. So you'll see in a moment that I am not doing a very quick outfit change. <laughs> um, when Pastor Angel asked me a few weeks ago, or told me a few weeks ago that this sermon was gonna be on the dichotomy between rejection and acceptance, 
I knew it was time to introduce our church to one of my favorite new worship songs from the past year, which is called Another in the Fire. The lyrics are all about how Jesus shows up when we are feeling lost, rejected, burdened, or just alone. I think it's a powerful and therapeutic melody for those of us who are working through all those feelings that the pandemic has stirred up. And it also absolutely applies to these, this weekend's unrest, which is focused on the racial injustice in our country. So we'll open our musical worship today by lifting our voices with the song to our God, and then I'll teach you another in the fire. And at the end of the service, we'll close with two more songs about God's love and acceptance that I think you all will know very well. So let's lift our hearts and sing together. Sing 
There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all these things unseen and this reckoning. And I know I will never be alone. Yes, this I know. I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There'll be another in the waters holding back the seas. Should I ever need reminding how good you've been to me? I'll count the joy coming. everybody to pray with me as I as I share the sermon this morning. <clears throat> um, I'm raw, so in places it may be a bit raw. So I pray for your grace. And I thank you, Lord, for your covering and mercy. Pentecost, balm to some, flame to others, it's our turn. Today is the celebration of Pentecost Sunday, and like so many others um, in our country today, I am altering my sermon. I'm supposed to speak directly to rejection and acceptance, and though that seemed appropriate, even more so, Pentecost Sunday seemed appropriate to me. Um, for preaching about Pentecost is preaching about Black Lives Matter, and I'll show you. Let's read the scripture together. Andrew, if you put it on the screen, please. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be 
tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Next slide, please. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galatians? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Next slide. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Peter goes on to share a message the same day. He weaves together the prophetic promises found in the Old Testament, fulfilling or foretelling them of the Messiah and how those scriptures were and are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. He tells of the importance of placing Jesus at the center of their lives and that believers have been given the gift of not just God's mere presence, but God's partnership with them in life, should they choose to receive it. So like Peter, I choose to lift my voice today above the multitude of utterances going forth in churches and on the media to declare some truths about this day that we don't hear so much about and how these truths speak to our moment in time. This then is the definition of a rhema word, a right now word from God. And that is not only what my heart needs, I know it's what yours needs. We need God's intervention now. On Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. A rushing wind filled the room the disciples were in. The Old Testament calls this wind the Ruach, the wind of God signifying the Spirit. It was the same wind that was breathed into the dirt and clay formations in the garden that became living human souls. Thus, it is the giver of life, the sustainer of life, who was present in the room with these representatives of humans as the Spirit was present in the garden. In the garden, the Spirit brought life to that which God had fashioned and formed out of clay. In the upper room, we see the Spirit returning to life those who were torn away and separated from God, themselves and each other by acts that broke trust, acts that, that made valuing uh, my thoughts higher than God's thoughts, that by things that, that hurt and separated us so that the fabric of life was rent. 
And so in this coming of the spirit, he is ushering in, bringing that back together and connecting us. The spirit visibly rested on them. The spirit enabled them. And then they spoke. <clears throat> you know, I get angry. To tell you the truth, I'm angry a lot of the time. I get angry about how this text is preached and understood because we treat the spirit like the prize at the bottom of the box of Cracker Jacks. At least, you know, some of us who with the charismatic or Pentecostal leaning do sometimes, while others are so in wonder of the popcorn and the nuts, they forget the prize altogether. We sometimes get so excited about this, about the spirit or the gifts Actually, we get so excited about the gifts of the Spirit. We focus on the charisms, these gifts, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Can we, do we speak in tongues? Is it for our time? Is it not for our time? All that stuff. Some of this stuff, we have these wonderful examples and movements of the Spirit. It makes us feel like we're deep and that we're more spiritual. Or when we're someone who doesn't express the charisms, it makes us feel like we are somehow fake or unfortunate Christians or, and not as spiritual. And then we do all these comparisons to one another. Who's deep? Who's got it? Who's moving with God? Oh, you seem so spiritual. And it's, that's just, it's not important. It is so unimportant. Like Paul, I thank God that I do speak in tongues. You may speak in tongues. This is not the point of the text. The charisms aren't the point of the text. They're not the end all of anything. What is the end all? What is of most importance is the spirit, the spirit self. God made a promise. And God is in this scripture <clears throat> acting to fulfill the promise he made, she made. And what was that promise? Simply this, that through Jesus, all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth would be saved. That's the promise. Last week, our brother Keith Wilburn preached on the, our joining God in God's mission, the great co-mission. And this week we see God enabling us reconciled humanity to fulfill our portion, the co of the co-mission. I've often spoken of having a wonderful partnership with God, how God met with the first humans in the cool of the day and that there they shared and communed with one another discussing everything that came to mind and enjoying life together. God's intention was always to partner with humanity in life. And so we see an advancing, <clears throat> an advancing of this idea in the scripture, we see that somehow God, <clears throat> we see that somehow God was moved to consider the meeting in the cool of the day with humanity wasn't enough. So the Trinity spoke through Jesus the promise that the Spirit would come and be with us that God would not leave us alone or orphans, but would give us God's continual presence to better enable us to share life together with God. 
and I get angry because we don't share life with God so many times. I get angry, not at just other people. I get angry at myself. I get disappointed. I get frustrated because I've got this incredible gift of relationship and I'm not making the most of it. We sometimes treat God like God's not there. I get angry because we, me included, aren't teaching people to connect with the spirit of a living God, how to talk to God, how to hear God, how to just be with God. Or we get excited when someone shares a word of knowledge or wisdom. We get excited when we hear that rise up in our church body. It's all exciting stuff and we should be excited, but we should also, something should get to us, make us angry, move us. Because when we think that this is the great stuff of church life, when we think that this is the great stuff of body life, and that when we exalt it higher than our growing and nurturing and lovingly being present in the relationship with God and welcoming God's intimate involvement in our day-to-day -day lives, learning to hear God is the ultimate. But I end up valuing those showy things as well, more than this thing. I get angry because our nation, really the mouths of power in our country, keep talking about how this is a Christian nation. But their words and their actions denote a people who may have the spirit of God within them. But the evidence suggests that God is locked up in their beings and not allowed to partner with them in life. How do I know this? Because I'm an African-American citizen, because I'm a female, because I embody, the, I embody the marginalized. There's a scripture spoken in Hebrews 13. It talks about how Jesus was outside the gate. He was outside the gate in his crucifixion where no power existed. He wasn't allowed to be there. He wasn't allowed to be citizenship. He wasn't allowed to be there. And I, it speaks to me so much as a person of African descent, knowing how often I have been cast outside the gate. I remember when Obama was elected and Whoopi Goldberg said, you know what happened to me is when, when he won, I couldn't believe it. And then I felt like I could put my suitcases down. I didn't even realize that I'd been carrying them around all my life, but I could put them down and declare that this is my country. But I don't know that feeling. I was suspect of that, even when Obama was elected. I know that there's not a partnership in those who profess and lead us with God because I walk and I breathe and I live with a low-grade fever. I've had this low-grade fever all my life. There are times when the temperature rises and I swelter under the intensity, but I have learned to call the low-grade fever normal. I have learned to call this low-grade fever the fear that wants to partner with me as if it was God in my life normal. I've lived, my great-great-great-grands have lived with the same low-grade fever, it, this invading force, and my children are living with this fever, and my godchildren, and my friends, and such a large portion of humanity. Fear. I've lived with fear 
because it resides in this country, in this world, run by so many who cry out about their relationship with God, but don't know God. Oh, God may be in them, but if they knew God, I would be afraid of them. Please hear me. Christ died to save us. And to as many who believe, he gave us the power to become the children of God. But what are folks believing? Institutions have been erected often with some seal representing God. These institutions don't work for me or people like me, Black people. They are not based upon the justice of God, nor are they seeking to establish righteousness because you can't do that without relationships of the human, of the entire fabric of humanity. These institutions seek to reinforce the supremacy of not God, but of whiteness. And thus, they deny God because they deny me. They deny God's reflection, the immortal day. They deny that it even exists because in denying any aspect of humanity is to deny God because God cannot be reflected in just whites and just men and just power. God must be reflected in the full gamut, the, the, the marginalized, the oppressed, the sick, the widows, the orphans, God's image has to be reflected through all of that. And when we live in such a way that we embrace the supremacy, the privilege that's offered to us, we deny God, God's self. When in truth, even God's chosen people, listen. Oh, we deny God, God's self. And actually, we are, when we do that, if we do it as women, as we do it as whites, as we do it as marginal, anytime we act in superior ways, we're in denial. And we place ourselves as if we are God's chosen or that we are God. Look, even the children of God, the true chosen, the point of their existence was to bring unity to the earth, to usher in salvation. It is an act of restoring, menders of the breach, bringing back together that which was ripped apart. And if we are acting in ways that, don't, that doesn't heal that breach, it doesn't bring that back together, it's time for us to call it for what it is. In every place it happens. I get angry about how we hand this handle this text because we get so excited about the spirit. I've been in, in, in Pentecostal places and people are running around the room and there's joy and there's excitement and I love that. But I have to ask the question, do we like the things the spirit does, those flashy things? And do we know the spirit? We don't even know what to call the Spirit half the time. We stay at the point of just referring to the Spirit as in the title, the Holy Spirit, which in itself, when it's announced the Holy Spirit, marks a distance sometimes. How often do we hear one another call out and say, my comforter, my guide, my leader, my partner? That, that displays an intimacy and that I'm not struggling to find words for this relationship, for this being that dwells inside of me. If we use these words more often, my comforter, 
my guide, my leader, my partner. Maybe we'd seek to listen to the Spirit more. Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, was about more than we get the Spirit. It was about why the Spirit came. To enable us, listen, the Spirit came to enable us to participate in that great commission, the co-mission, to enable us to make disciples. She said, great love, yay, we know that. But why? Make disciples of what? The missing part that we don't talk about as often as we need to talk about is that the Spirit came so that we could make disciples, followers who were following Christ and calling forth the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdoms. We need to make disciples of the kingdom, not disciples of going to heaven, not disciples of I got saved, not the disciple of this, this denomination or that denomination, but disciples. I need to be a disciple of the kingdom of God. And that is the message. Make disciples of this kingdom because that is all he came preaching. His salvation message was the kingdom, not going to heaven. I already said that. He, had, he didn't have an I'll fly away, oh glory, one day I'll fly away. He preached about the rise of the kingdom on earth that is here and that is now. And the kingdom on earth reflected the kingdom of heaven. He wanted it to be so seamless. He wanted it the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom on earth to exist, that they would be twins and that we literally could interchange the name because what happened on earth is what was happening in heaven. Pentecost is a wonder because God is consistent in God's intent that the earth be filled with his glory. God is so, was so intent upon his goal and purpose that God demonstrated in tongues of fire that every nation on earth would receive the message and be empowered to live life as kingdom citizens. God meant that so much that God came to live within us. God empowered us through the Holy Spirit. He empowered them. They spoke. He empowers us, and we have to speak. What happened in Pentecost is that people heard the sound of life. And you may say I'm making up stuff, but I'm not. They heard through human voices the call to be resurrected in the spirit to new life. Every person heard in their own tongue the message of Jesus. They heard Paul preach the kingdom, that Jesus had come, died for our sin, and now we're empowered to live in the kingdom now. Not just wait for it, but to cause the kingdom to enter the earth, to break into the existing structures and strategies that cause humanity to be separated, to allow hate and killing and denial to go on and on. They spoke. 
once a broken humanity, now reunited with God, they called out to a still broken humanity to be united. That unity required that they see all those people in their context. They were Galatians and they saw the Parthians. They were Galatians and they were there from, with people from Medes and from Mesopotamia. And they spoke to them intimately. Intimately. How do I know this? They spoke in their own languages. They didn't say you have to stop being who you are. I see you from your context. So much so that I've caused these people to speak in your language and I ask you, I invite you to come, is what God was saying. Unity requires getting to know the people and understanding their culture. We have here an image in this scripture of an event, but please understand that these people had to live this out. They had to make kingdom. And the book of Acts shares with us their triumphs and their failures because the spirit isn't a magic act. The spirit is not here so we can be lazy and not do the work that's required. Jesus is our example of God doing the work to bring about the kingdom. Now we just wanna sit sometimes or just wait and we rub our fingers together or something like it's gonna happen by magic. That it's like it's not gonna cost us something. When his inauguration of, this, of, of the kingdom cost him his life. We think we can have life as usual, or if we do simple acts. I have a couple of black friends. I go to a multicultural church. We think that's going to make a difference, and that's going to speak differently, but it's not enough. We want to read a couple of books and hang out with a few people and call ourselves diverse and inclusion and inclusive. It won't work like that. You know how I know? I watched television last night talk to my family. I looked at the crap going on in the street. Some of y'all can just open your window and you saw it all happening. I know that what we're doing is not enough. We're falling victim to our circumstances. I want to change the world, but I'm tired. I want to do more, but I got these kids. I want to change the world, but I need my job. I want to change the world, but if I stand up for righteousness with my family, they're going to criticize me. Or if I stand up too much, they might start treating me like the people I'm trying to lift up. And God in heaven knows the last thing anybody wants to be in this country or this world is to be black. While there is a spectrum of diversity, the end products, the ends are black and white. And every culture knows, and every culture has probably said, at least I'm not black. I get angry because we don't seek God's empowerment to build the strength and tenacity and perseverance and endurance to run the day gone race that's set before us. This is our race. This season where we have more information than anyone has ever had on earth and the demands, I know that they, they're hard, but this is our season. It's our turn. We don't have to deal with whips on our backs, but we have to deal with knees on our throats. 
I don't have to deal with raising, you know, uh, there was a time when blacks had to raise our babies and we had to raise the babies of other people. And all of us have childcare that can come in and help and take care. And the few hours we have with our kids seem like so much, but our mothers and our fathers managed to raise kids, go to work, go to church, be active in the community, and we're tired. And this is our season. And if they had said they were tired and did nothing, I wouldn't have the education that I have. I wouldn't have the relationships that I have. I wouldn't have the opportunities that are before me. And I wouldn't be begging and crying and calling out for more relation, diverse relationships because I know the world would be better when it reflects and understands its reflection of God's image. I get mad. We don't have to send our kids out to battle. But in the 60s, they sent the bad children, Ruby Bridges and others, they sent their kids. Now we would call it abuse. But wait, oh, sorry. Some of us don't have to send our kids out. Some of us are still sending our kids out. And we're afraid to send them out, to go to the store. Then they had to be afraid to go to get an education. Our kids have to be afraid to go to the store and get a, some Skittles and a soft drink. It's our turn for all the learning that we have achieved, for all the things that we have accomplished. The thing that we can't seem to do is possess the spirit and speak in every situation. That we don't take our resources. There's a beautiful imagery at the end of, of the Bible in Revelations, the seventh chapter, where every nation, every culture is gathered around the throne offering their gifts. And we see this somehow as some great getting up morning and not understanding that in today, every nation, every people, every person has a gift to offer God. Your gift of your white privilege is an offering to God to help another member of the body stand up and be recognized and allow the gifting, the unique talents and opportunities that God has placed in them to fill the earth and make it whole. The earth will not be whole. There's no magic coming. A new heaven and a new earth will be born and birthed through us. The inbreaking of the kingdom is ha happens when the children of the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom, demand it. This is what the scriptures means when it says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It is the force of love that will not deny the image of God in any way, in any shape on this earth. That is the violence that we bring to knock down what separates us and this division and this hatred. This is what we bring so your children and my children can play together so my son can go to Georgia and I not be afraid every day of my life that he won't come back to me. Please understand, I'm not seeing that the things we're dealing with are not important. Jesus wasn't saying to the, the young man, he said, come, come with me. And the man said, I have to go bury my father. He wasn't saying his father was important. He was saying this, there's always going to be something 
an important thing that rises up and tells you, I can't do this thing for God right now because I'm going to honor God in this way by taking care of my mother while I'm going to the funeral and doing this and doing that. I'm going to honor God by this way by going and raising the money and doing the thing. No, but we've got to decide that we elevate this thing of God and figure out because the same spirit that can empower us to speak and to do can empower us in how to figure out how to care for our family and care for our world. We've got to figure it out. And it may mean the sacrifices of stopping some other things to contribute in another way. But please understand, I ask you this because white people, internally oppressed people are killing us. And if we don't stand up, And continue for another 400 years. Why is there violence in the street? I told myself I wasn't going to answer this question, but I want to. Just in case, by chance, there's someone saying, you know, it's okay to protest. Why are you messing up your own neighborhood? It gets really funny, you know? I don't condone it. I'm not saying it should happen, but I understand it. You see, people in government and places don't get excited until something starts burning. You can march up the street and down the street all day long, nothing. Oh, it was a great march, clap your hands. But as soon as something starts burning, as soon as there's violence in the street, oh, now people are paying attention. That's why the children were sent in. So the world could see the abuse to the children. The parents sent their kids knowing they would be abused. This was their hope, their faith in God, that God would be make it okay, even if they lost their child, because they were working for the kingdom of God, and they counted everything as lost for the excellency of knowing Jesus and him being at the center and that kingdom coming forward where they didn't have, where I wouldn't have to worry. But I do. And it's my turn to help so their lives weren't lived in vain. So their offerings weren't lived in vain. It's my turn, it's your turn to push us even further. This has to stop. And we as a church are uniquely positioned to be a part of this. And I got tired, I'm like, Lord, I'm supposed to leave this now with this church. And I'm like, tag, I wanna text some other people and say, it's your turn, how? I'm tired, I don't want, I've been doing this all my life been a, a bridge of reconciliation. I'm tired. And the Lord helped me understand like he did Elijah. There are a bunch of people. And I have over 100 people in our church. Tag. We can do this. Tag. It's our turn. So, a couple of things for right now to help in the midst of everything going on. Um, and I'll be done for now. I need folks, everybody, think of one thing you can do, especially our white brothers and sisters. Think of one thing you can do, one way you can use your influence, your privilege to help somebody who's marginalized. Make up your mind to do it. Pray over it. Ask God to help you. Just one. Second thing, I'm going to ask two things. Think of someone in the, our close community, in your community. It doesn't have to be in the community of the, the church per se, but close. And not necessarily me. Someone else. And care for them right now. Someone black. Care for them right now. 
somebody age you because of COVID and how they get blamed and, you know, care for them. A real tangible act of caring. Can you do that? I know you can. I know we can. They ask, well, what, what can I do? Have us, partner with God. God will talk to you just as God talks to me. And we're all growing, learning to hear God more clearly. So we'll figure it out. We've got this. It's our turn. Pentecost was a bomb for some, and it is a bomb for me. It is a flame also, the flame of righteousness that does not deny the people of God and forces everything that would exalt itself over the name of Christ to kneel. I want to be a part of that. I am a part of that kingdom. I'm an active part. I invite you and us to share in that as well. May God bless you and keep you. Amen. Amen. Let's return to worship. Um, thank you, Pastor Angel. Um, not sure I have the words to follow such an um, such a powerful and relevant message. Um, so I'm just going to say what I wrote before, because I think there's something in there for us from God. Um, as I said at the beginning, my name is Lindsay McCormick, and I'm leading the musical worship today. Pastor Angel has been asking some members of our um, worship sound and tech teams to experiment more with recorded music for our services. And it just so happened to be that I recorded today's music at the same weekend that the Zoom wasn't working for our service, which was two weekends ago now. Um, because we pushed all our sermons back. So while recorded music can certainly help us improve the sound quality of the worship and our ability to collaborate with one another, as Matt Weed and I did in today's closing song, one downside is that it's much harder to pivot to different music if the situation calls for it, um, like it most certainly would have this weekend if we were meeting live. Um, so I appreciate your grace and your understanding if this closing music sounds more uplifting than somber, or if it sounds more like music to help us close out the Easter season than music to help us grieve and process this week's events. Um, but I also believe that God gives us what we need in every moment. And perhaps right now that's a couple of songs to lift our spirits. Um, so let's put our hearts and minds towards God and see what God has for us in this moment as we close in song together. Following the following um, worship, please stay. Thanks. Blind, but now I see. 
shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to Your glorious day. 
Lindsay, thank you so much for those songs. And we need uplifting songs. We need to take a break sometimes. And it's OK to take a break from this and come back to it. So thank you for that and for the lifting us up. So we will move from, we pray that we will be able to move out of the darkness into God's glorious day from these events. Um, but as a, a benediction, we have a few more slides and, uh, and something else for you. I pray you'll stay, look at those slides, and then listen to the words of the song that plays um, as we close out. That is our benediction. God bless you. God keeps you. And God keep you. And may God keep us together as family as we walk through these days. Thank you.
blessed today as you journey. Be safe, be wise, but be courageous and bold. We need you. We need each other. May God bless you today. Bye-bye.